Good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. We're going through the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. So go ahead and find yourself in chapter 2 of the book of Habakkuk. We're doing a series, Strong Faith, Perverted Justice. And we've been in this little book of three chapters for four messages now. This is the fourth. And uh, we're asking the question, where is God when the world falls apart? That's a question that Habakkuk wrestled with some 2,500 years ago. And we're joining him on his journey as we learn to have faith in God, even when life itself makes no sense. And tonight's message is entitled, Judgment Will Come. Judgment Will Come. I'm reminded of a a song by Johnny Cash he wrote near the end of his life. And uh, the title of the song was, God's Gonna Cut You Down. And here's how the song began. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, tell the gambler, the backbiter. Tell them that God's going to cut them down. Tell them that God's going to cut them down. You know, there's some truth to that those lyrics of that song. So far, we've seen the following points in our study. The first week, we saw the reaction of the prophet to the corruption of his time in Habakkuk 1. And then, toward the end of Habakkuk 1, the middle of Habakkuk 1, excuse me, we saw the response of God to the prophet's reaction. Remember, the book of Habakkuk is about Habakkuk, the prophet of God, and God having a dialogue, having a conversation. And then thirdly, we saw toward the end of chapter 1, verses 12 to 17, the recognition of the character and plan of God. Habakkuk came to understand that, wait a minute, there's no need for overreaction here. I'm trusting in the God of the Bible, the creator God, and he has a character and a plan for all things. And then last week, we looked at chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, and we introduced that section entitling it, The Reluctance of the Prophet to Speak Until He Hears from the Lord. And we looked at how the prophet said, The just shall live by his faith. And we took that phrase and we followed it over to the New Testament in the book of Romans. Well, tonight we're going to be looking at verses 5 to 8. Verses 5 to 8. And hopefully you have your outline there. You've downloaded it from the app or you're looking at it. And tonight we're asking the question, why the judgment of God will come? And it will come. And he asks us the reasons. He expresses the reasons here in verses 5 to 8. The reasons why the judgment of God would come. And so we want to read our, our text here in, in verses 5 to 8, and then we'll get into our, have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our study. Follow along with me as I read Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Verse 6, 
Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles or parables for him to say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Verse 7, Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoil for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for these sobering words. And Lord, we know that your judgment will come one day, even on our own country. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just minister to our hearts the truth of your word tonight as we look at the reasons why the judgment of God is falling, not only on the nations back in Habakkuk's time, but even today in our own country, in our own world. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We pray you'd bless each one tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to list here for us some reasons why the judgment of God will come. This is what Habakkuk is prophesying. He's, God has given him this message, and he's making it clear to people. And the first reason here in verse 5a, it says, Moreover, wine is a traitor. One of the reasons judgment is going to fall here is because of their drunkenness. Their drunkenness. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around America today and realize that substance abuse, including alcohol, is out of control. We've even legalized some drugs today that once were illegal. Uh, Americans really have decided that they don't want anybody stopping them and they want their freedom to take whatever drugs they want, even when they're not medicinal, and to take whatever drinks they want, no matter what damage that may do to you, even physically. The number one nation known for its drunkenness back in Habakkuk's time, and really all time, is Babylon. Babylon. Remember what's going on here. God is judging Judah because of their disobedience and their immorality and their idol worship. All this stuff is going on in Judah. These are God's people. And Habakkuk, the prophet, sees it and he says, God, aren't you going to do anything? And so he petitions God to do something. He says, okay, I'll do something. I'll raise up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, Babylon, to discipline my people. And Habakkuk can't believe it's going to happen because he said, of all people, these are the most wicked, vile people on the face of the earth. Can't you find somebody else? And uh, they were known for their violence, but they were also known for their drunkenness. I mean, all the nations back then had people within their ranks who partook of drunken orgies and, and sordid behavior, all kinds of things went on. But most historians say that Babylon, even in battle, when they went to battle, if you were fighting the armies of Babylon, you could smell the alcohol, smell the liquor. They were drunk. 
They were like wild, drunken animals, out of control. They were vicious, ferocious. And Babylon was the most vicious nation of all. They outdid even the torturous, barbaric Assyrians. I mean, unbelievable. They were just always filled with drunkenness and alcohol. And that's one of the reasons why God's judgment is going to fall on them. Now remember, God is raising them up to judge Judah. But then God points out to Habakkuk, hey, wait a minute, they'll get theirs. And here's why. Secondly, it's because not only their drunkenness, but because of their desire for violence that could not be satisfied. Number one, their drunkenness. The second reason why God's judgment will fall on this nation is not only because of their drunkenness, but because of their desire for violence. And it couldn't be satisfied. Look at what it says in verse 5. An arrogant man or prideful man who is never at rest. His greed is wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Down in verse 8, the end of verse 8, it says, For the blood of man and violence to the earth. In other words, it's all over the place. They had a desire for violence. Reminds me of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20. It says, Sheol and Abaddon or destruction, Abaddon is the word for destruction, are never satisfied, it says. And never satisfied are the eyes of man. You know, it's really an indictment that God is giving here about the violence and about the, the pornography and about the sexual sin of every type. It's the kind of behavior that we see in some of these celebratory immoral parades that take place on certain days in our country. Really parades of debauchery and sinful conduct. And it, just about the time you see, think you've seen enough, it seems like they invent some new way for sexual sin of every type. This kind of person wants to push the limit as far as they can, further than it's ever been pushed. And we see that, just like it was in Habakkuk's time. We see it today, in our time. We see violence. The craving for violence has been going on for what? Six months? All summer? Up in Seattle and Portland? Pure violence, just mayhem. And there's a craving for violence in our society. The reason I know that to be true is because most of the best selling video games they tell us are the ones that are the most violent, extremely violent. And you wonder why we have kids shooting kids because they think it's a big video game. And we sit here as a nation almost in hypocrisy and criticize other nations of the world and we have to be careful. Judgment begins, the Bible says, in the house of God. In this case, judgment is at the door of our own nation, really. 
who pushes human rights around the world while we get reports of thousands of our, our precious kids and children being snatched away. Nobody knows where they end up or where they go, sold into sexual slavery. Even white slavery, that whole issue alone has grown to unbelievable proportions. People who are millionaires and billionaires making profit off it. It's a sick society we live in. We are destroying ourselves as a nation. Yet we sit here and pass judgment on the civilization that surrounded Habakkuk, the civilization that he was part of. He saw it happening. He, happening during his time, all kinds of, of sexual deviation. Historians say that there were even sodomites working their sinful practices right there beside the temple in the temple yards. They got so bad it was unbelievable to the point where drunken orgies had actually hit the nation of Israel itself. They deserve the judgment of God. But the nation going to judge them, the nation that was going to judge Israel, is even worse off than they were. So God says that not only will I inflict judgment on you, Judah, for your behavior, but I'm also going to inflict judgment on those who judge you, the Babylonians, the ones I'm raising up. Sometimes people ask the question, do you think our nation is being spared the judgment of God due to the sole fact that we are strong supporters of the nation of Israel, God's people? I believe that. I believe the moment our nation withholds its hand from supporting God's people, Israel, that will be the last vestige of hope that we have as a country. We saw some of that in the last administration. Now we have an administration that's very strong in their support of Israel, which is a blessing. But I believe God's judgment will fall on this country again. Um, I don't know that to be certain. <laughs> I'm not a, a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, but I'm aware of God's ways. And it's not only because of drunkenness, but, it's desire, but also the desire for violence that can never be satisfied. I want to pause here and say three things about this. Look at what it says here. An arrogant man. An arrogant man. Verse 5. See, this kind of behavior is manifested usually by pride. That's what you see here, by pride. Proverbs 16, 18 tells us pride goes what? Before destruction in a haughty spirit, before a fall. We need to be on guard for pride to well up in our own hearts. But secondly, we also see here it was lacking in peace. Look at what it says. He's not only an arrogant man, but then it says, who is never at rest. 
who is never at rest. What's this mean? It means that there's always trouble. There's always something new to conquer, new world to conquer, more violence to spread. That was how the Babylonians operated. You didn't take a a respite and say, well, let's just have a, a peaceful year. No, they were always out for blood and violence. So you see the pride, you see the lack of peace, but you also see it was oppressive to the people. It says there, he gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own peoples. His own all peoples. See, Babylon, Babylon was out to what? To conquer the world. And they were going to steamroll over anyone who got in their way. They wanted to prove the very fact that there was no one greater than them. You remember in the Bible where what Nebuchadnezzar said just before God uh, struck him with insanity. Do you remember that? He basically thought, all of this I did. He looked around his kingdom and said, all of this I did. Then he says, the glory of my kingdom is greater than all kingdoms that ever existed. His heart was filled with pride. He was oppressive to his people. And what happened? God struck him. And he became like a madman, the Bible tells us. Roaming in the fields like a mere animal. See, the message there is you better not mess around with the Lord God of Israel. You better be careful. And so we see this reasons, these reasons why the judgment of God would come. God makes it very clear to Habakkuk. But then the second point here, we see the revenge that would come upon the Babylonians. Not only will judgment fall upon Judah, but even upon the Babylonians. Look at what it says in verses 6 to 8. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles or, or parables is the word for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble. Then you will be spoiled for them. In other words, then the table's going to be turned. Because you have plundered many nations, verse 8, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and to all who dwell in them. Four simple things here. First of all, notice what it says about the parable that would be used against them. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and parables for him? When I read that, I thought of another person who told many parables. That was the Lord himself throughout the Gospels. And if you recall anything about those parables, you'll remember that in those parables, he often spoke about God's judgment falling on the wicked on those who are unrighteous. And our Lord gave us a number of parables. We're familiar with most of them. And it's, it's just a very Jewish thing to do, to tell a parable. That's how they teach. They teach through parables. Well, what is a parable? A parable is basically putting alongside a, a very simple illustration. 
putting that alongside a very important truth about how God works. It's teaching a, a spiritual lesson, you might say, through a physical illustration. It may be a simple illustration, like fishing or a farmer sowing seed. Or maybe even the illustration of marriage or of a man who owns a vineyard <laughs> and sends out his workers into the field. There's a lot, lots of different parables that the Bible speaks of, but they all do the same thing. They all are simple illustrations of a more important truth. There are all kinds of parables, but many of those parables deal with judgment. If you do a study on them, you'll, you'll see. They take a, a riddle or a parable here against Babylon. In other words, what God is telling Habakkuk is, hey, don't worry about them. They're not going to get away with it. They're not going to get away with all this violence and drunkenness and all this other stuff that's going on. The parable or proverb is a warning. It's a warning from God, kind of like the watchman on the wall that we looked at before. It's a warning. And so the parable that will be used against them in the beginning of verse 6, and then we see the proclamation that would be said about the Babylonians. Look at what it says. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. See, this is what the Babylonians did. They would move into an area. They would conquer the area. They would usually kill the king or whoever, the armies. They would wipe them out. And then they would just take anything they wanted to the point where they were heaping up merchandise and animals and wealth, but it wasn't theirs. They stole it through vicious conquering of usually innocent people. They were just wicked people. And God issues this proclamation to them, woe to him who does this. Habakkuk, you may think they're getting away with it because they're sitting there fat, dumb, and happy right now thinking they're the, on the top of the world, but don't worry about it. I'm pronouncing a woe against them. A judgment will be coming. So we not only see here this parable, the proclamation, but then thirdly, verse 7, he mentions the punishment will come as a shock and a surprise. Look at what it says in verse 7. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? He's pronouncing this upon Babylon, who was the greatest force, the greatest nation of the time. And he's saying, you know what? Sooner or later, there's payback. It's coming. And you, you ask the question, well, did that happen? Well, actually, in 539 B.C., there was a drunken orgy on the part of Belshazzar, who was the, the ruler at the time, in the palace of Babylon. And during that drunken orgy, the Medes and the Persians... They rechanneled the Euphrates River. In other words, they dried up the river so that the Belshazzar and the Babylonians were no longer protected. 
And they dried it up so they could come under the moat that was around their little fortress. That palace was really, it was underground. And that night, that very night when they were, the Babylonians were involved in one of their drunken orgies, that night they took, the Medes and the Persians took Babylon by shock. As a matter of fact, the whole argument, we, we hear a lot about the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. In other words, you're not going to expect it. They didn't expect this this overwhelming defeat to happen. And the whole argument of the thief in the night was built on what happened to Babylon. It happened so quickly. It happened so suddenly. No one would have ever even imagined it. The great empire of Babylon fell in one night. That's all it took. The Medes and the Persians just completely disintegrated them, wiped them out. And one of the reasons was, was because they were defenseless. They were drunk. They were having orgies. It was unbelievable. Even historians say that the Medes and the Persians were shocked. And they're no timid group. They were shocked at what they saw, what they found. Will they rise up suddenly? Yes, they will. God says so. And it happened not too many years after this. The book of Daniel, by the way, speaks of this disaster. And he records the drunken orgy that was taking place under Belshazzar the king. And it tells us in Daniel chapter 5, actually, if you turn over there, beginning in, in verse, verse 1. I'll just read the, the chapter here because it tells us about this entire story. Daniel 5, verse 1, says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Verse 5, immediately the fingers, you remember the story, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. So they're all just sitting there having this drunken feast and all of a sudden a human hand appears out of nowhere and writes something on the wall. That would get your attention. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Verse 6, then the king's color changed. <laughs> he a little flushed, I guess. And his thoughts alarmed him. It says his limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Speaking of how fearful he was. And the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, these are people that they would employ to tell them hidden meetings and riddles and all kinds of things, thinking that somehow they had more wisdom than anybody else. 
And the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. That gives you a little motivation. It's kind of like a reward, right? Then all the king's wise men came in. Boy, they lined up for this one. But they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. See, they were kind of between a rock and a hard place because if they proclaimed, if they tried to cheat and try to say, oh, here's what it means, king, and it wasn't true, their head was on a platter, they were dead. So if they didn't have anything for the king, it was better for them to say, sorry, I cannot interpret this rather than try to fake it. And verse 9, it says, Then the king was greatly alarmed, and his color changed. Notice it talks about his color changing a couple times. That means he's a little concerned. And his lords were perplexed. Verse 10, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall, and the, the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of, of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. Because an excellent spirit knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles or parables, and solve problems were found. And guess who that was? Were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Verse 13 Follow along. Then Daniel was brought before the king. And the king answered and said to Daniel, you, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Verse 15, now the wise men and the enchanters have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with the purple with purple, and have a, which is a sign of royalty, by the way, and have a chain of gold around your neck. And also you'll be the, the third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. In other words, I'm not interested in your rewards. But nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. What was Daniel saying? Hey, I'm not here for the money. I'm just using the gift that God has equipped me with. Verse 18, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. 
and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. It speaks of fairness. He was fair with people, it seems. But verse 20, verse 20 says, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast. He went nuts, basically. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Verse 22, And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. They took sacred things from the temple and they brought it and they were getting drunk with these cups that they had. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed and this is the writing that was inscribed. So he's about ready to read it. Mene, mene, tekel, farsen. Many, many, tekel, farsen. In verse 26, Daniel says, this is the interpretation. In other words, king, this is what this means. Mene, the word mene, he's speaking that says that God has numbered the days of your kingdom. Mene means to be remembered. And he's saying, God has remembered what's going on here. <laughs> and God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. In other words, the consequences are going to fall. The word tekel means that you've been weighed in the balances. In other words, you've been judged. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You know, when you would go to the the shops or the stores or whatever back then, they would have a scale. And depending on how much items you bought, you had to use gold or currency or something to pay for it. And they would weigh it out. Well, here he says, you know what? You don't have enough to pay the bill. You've found wanting. There's a debt remaining, tekel. And then the last word there, Parson comes from the word Paris, which basically means your kingdom is divided. Your kingdom is divided and it's going to be given to the Medes and the Persians. Verse 29, then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. In other words, wow, he read the interpretation. Well, bring the purple, put it on him. Chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. 
Listen to this, verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. See, it says that Daniel, that it would be given to the Medes and the poor Persians. That's what the prophet Daniel said. And you know what? This happened, just like God said. This was a historical incident that Habakkuk is saying was going to happen. And guess what? It happened exactly like God said it would through his prophet. Well, the last thing here in verses 7 and 8, we see the plunder of the Babylonians would become the possession of others. The plunder of the Babylonians would become the possession of others. We've seen the parable that was used against them, the proclamation that would be said about the, the Babylonians. The punishment would come as a shock and surprise. And now we see the plunder. All the spoils of war would become the possession of others. Look at what it says at the end of verse 7. Then you will, then you will be spoiled, speaking of the Babylonians, for them. In other words, right now you're sitting there on all your spoils of war and you think you're, you're pretty high up there. Well, guess what? You're going to be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you. Now, in history, we know there are museums around the world that contain much of this evidence, much of this plunder, and the startling thing to them was that it was stripped of all the treasures that they knew Babylon had from all their victories that they had won. See, we need to be reminded what Habakkuk is doing here. He's got, he got a word from the Lord. And the word from the Lord said, Habakkuk, just wait. Be patient. And I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to write it down because I want everybody to know this. Make sure everybody knows about our conversation. Because you know what? It's going to happen just as I prophesied it would. It's going to happen exactly like God said. And remember, he tells Habakkuk, don't worry. If it doesn't happen right away, don't think it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. You can count on that. It may not happen in your time frame. See, today in our society, there's a lot of people getting away with a lot of stuff. And if you're like me, you get frustrated just watching the news or reading the newspaper or whatever. You get irritated. You're thinking, man, when is this going to stop? And God's message to us is just be patient. Just be patient. It may get worse before it gets better. It may not get better at all. We don't know. But God does. And if it doesn't happen right now, you can count on it happening soon. So you ask, well, when, when did he write this? <laughs> well, a lot of people disagree on a certain date. But as we said at the beginning of the study, he had to write at least about 605 B.C. 
Because if you think about it, Nineveh had already fallen in 612 B.C. And Jehoiakim, the, the king, was in power. So it's at least 605 B.C. And Babylon has already come into the northern sections. They came also in 597 B.C. and they returned again in 586 under the leadership of the captain of the guard of Nebuchadnezzar's forces. They destroyed Jerusalem. They burned it to the ground and they destroyed the temple of Solomon. See, it's very, very interesting how fast all this happened. But then Babylon is going to go down. And Habakkuk prophesied this said it was going to happen. And you know what? That happened in 539 B.C. I mean, isn't it interesting when we read prophecies like this, the Bible teaches that whatever God said, even though it may have been thousands of years ago, God knows the beginning from the end. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly how it's going to take place. And not just in a prophetic sense. But he knows even what's going on, not just in prophecy, but even in our own lives. <laughs> right? He knows us. He created us. We're not here just randomly running around earth. God has a purpose and a plan for us as believers. And whatever he says is going to happen, it's going to happen exactly like he says, and nobody can stop him. We're on the winning side if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It may look dark. It may look threatening. The storm may be looming. But take heart, my friend. We're on the right side. We're on the winning side. I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 to 11. It says, in verse 8, it says, Remember this and stand firm. See, now's not the time to grow weak. Or to be timid about your faith. It says, recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. You don't argue with God. You don't argue with the time frame of God. We need to remember that as we sit here, even on this threshold, threshold of the return of our Lord and Messiah, Jesus Christ, and we look around and we see world events that are rapidly shaping up just like the Bible told us would happen. Remember, this may not be the time. We may have some time to go yet. We don't know. No one does. But we also may have less time than we think. So what are we called to do? As believers, we're called to wait on the Lord.
wait on the Lord. We're to watch like the watchman on the wall. And we're to be ready as the coming of the Lord draws near. Remember, in, in 605 B.C., when Habakkuk wrote this, Babylon looked invincible. No one could defeat them. Do you know that less than a century after that, the complete Babylonian empire had disappeared? <laughs> Wiped out. Waiting is hard. It's difficult. When you're waiting for something, whether it's a diagnosis or whether it's an election, it's easy to fall into despair and to worry. It's easy to lose your equilibrium, your balance. It's easy to doubt. Boy, does God even know what he's doing? And God's message to us, beloved, is, will you wait for me? Wait for me, that God says. See, the world tells us a different story. The world says, don't just stand there, do something. That's the message we receive from the world. God says, don't just do something. I want you just to stand there. Stand firm. Babylon looks good in all its glory. Babylon always looks good. Just like sin. Until it is no more. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for these Hebrew prophets with clarity and simplicity. In their messages, it seems, Lord, that if there was ever a day when our generation, our culture, our country needs to hear the word of the Lord, it's now. And unfortunately, as Amos even predicted, that there would be a famine for God's word. People are going around all over the place trying to find somebody who will simply just teach them the Bible. I hear this all the time. God, I pray that our hearts will long and yearn to know the truth that can set us free. I pray that we'll even walk out of here tonight fully confident of Habakkuk's message that the righteous live by faith. Faith in whatever God has said because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's through faith that we understand the that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things that we see were not made out of things that exist. God spoke them into existence. He spoke his word and it all happened. The sad reality is all nations will one day be destroyed by the Messiah himself, by the sword of his mouth, the Bible says. All nations, including our nation, You tell us the glory of the Lord would be seen one day over all the earth. 
for the mouth of the Lord had spoken it. May we leave here tonight with a new trust in our hearts in what you have said and what you say to us through your word each day. Pray that it would give us a boldness to live for you, to proclaim your life-changing, saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to many with boldness. Lord, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we know it's the power of God onto salvation. Lord, if there's anyone listening to this message tonight, I pray they may be filled with fear. They may be filled with doubt. They may feel pressure from all around because of what's going on in our society. But Lord, I pray that ultimately they would, all that pressure, all that concern would drive them to your feet, would drive them to you. Lord, you're the one who said, come on to me, all ye who are burdened, and I will give you rest. I pray that you'll look to the Lord Jesus Christ tonight for your own salvation. Because eternity weighs in the balance. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.